0: I am very disappointed in the Berserk fandom. When people talk about Berserk, they oftentimes bring up the twisted, dark, violent, and hyper masculine aspects of this series. But I was pleasantly surprised by the overwhelming tenderness of Berserk. I had no idea that love would play such a pivotal role in this series. We see the light and darkness of familial love, deep friendships, And romantic love. We see how loving someone can result in deep lasting wounds but we also see the healing power of love. I am reading Berserk for the first time and I would love it if you would join me on this journey through this classic that has inspired so many different series. There are so many moments that I can't wait to talk about in this video. From the introduction of Nosferatu Zad, Casca's backstory, the consequences of Guts splitting away from Griffith, and my absolute favorite part of the story so far, Guts and Casca's relationship. I was absolutely enthralled with this cluster of chapters. Miura delivered explosive action, tense battles, a twisted torrent of jealousy, betrayal, morally gray actions, and soft intimate and sensual scenes. And all throughout this, Mira has been dotting little dreadful reminders of what's to come. How our main characters, that we've watched go through so much, will be met with some unspeakable fate. Something to do with an eclipse, I'm sure. In this video, we are going to be talking about a lot of sensitive topics. And just as a reminder, Berserk is an 18-up series, so please do not read this if you are under the age of 18. It was during Chapter 1 of Zod where things really started to pick up. This inhuman, monstrous creature is able to recognize the little trinket that we've seen Griffith always keep so close to himself. Knowing it by name, the Egg of the King. Guts and the Band of the Hawk hear this horrible proclamation that Guts and Party will be doomed to a horrible fate, that if Guts is truly Griffith's friend, then he should take heed when his ambition collapses. And that death will pay him a visit, a death that he cannot escape. What I love about this scene is not only the drama of it all, nor how it foreshadows the eclipse. instead. I love how it connects back to what Skull Knight says to Guts. He tells Guts that because he was born surrounded by death, that because he is closer to death than anyone, that he excels at escaping it. So we have these two different prophecies that are very similar but have different outcomes. Will Guts succumb to this inescapable death like Zod said? Or will it be that Guts' own twisted origins, the thing that he was marked as a bad omen for, that would give him the power to escape even this seemingly inescapable death? We get to see Skull Knight call Guts the Struggler, which is something that I had heard people refer to Guts as before I started reading this series. But more than just struggling, Guts perseveres. And it's gonna be that sort of energy that I think is going to get him through some of the more horrible things that are gonna happen later on in the story. When we revisit some of Skull Knight's lines, he says, In the abyss of despair, only he who stands up with the broken sword in hand, perhaps. And then he disappears into the night, of course. He perseveres. Even when things seem completely hopeless, he still holds on to a bit of hope. Skull Knight gives off a similar aura to that of Zod's. And that's what terrifies Guts. So I'm wondering if Skull Knight is just as ancient and just as powerful as someone like Zod. Zod becomes another character in Guts's reoccurring dreams, where he reflects on his trauma. The next time we see the image of Zod would be after Guts does something completely dishonorable. Let's talk about the assassination chapters. Griffith orders Guts to do something that he hasn't done before kill an unarmed man who isn't on the battlefield. Disposing of Julius would help get rid of any opposition to Griffith's rise in the ranks. While observing his target, Guts sees that he has a small son, Adonis. Looking down at Julius training his son would remind Guts of his time being trained by Gambino. We see how they are both very harsh in training their child guts after killing Julius is visibly shaken. He does not feel good about killing someone in such a dishonorable manner. This shame for what he had done seemed to make him especially reactionary. This guilt, this anxiety, would lead him to stab Adonis. I was curious about Adonis's name and wondered what might have influenced Mira to use that name for this child. We tend to think of Adonis as representing the beauty ideal, but when I looked into it a bit more, into the mythos of the Greek god Adonis, I found that he died from a stab from a boar. And much like a raging boar, Guts gouged his sword through Adonis. Guts is in shock over what he has done. While dashing away, Guts is faced with even more people that he has to kill. His own sloppiness leading to more deaths than he had planned for killing an unarmed man who he knew was a father and then killing the child of said man was completely dishonorable. While Guts has never been pure, this still represents a fall from grace. This descent to his lowest point is reflected in him going down into the sewers, Guts becoming tainted both literally and figuratively in order to make Griffith's dreams a reality. After hitting his head on his way down, Guts is met with another nightmare. This time, we see him sparring with Gambino. Of course, this was inspired by what he witnessed between Adonis and Julius. But unlike the dream he had after fighting with Griffith, during this dream, he is an observer. And he remarks on how he was always desperate to be acknowledged and appreciated by Gambino. Then the looming shadow of Zod appears. We see how he severs the head of Gambino and stabs through Guts, the same way Guts stabbed through Adonis. Then it's revealed that it wasn't Zod at all, it was Guts. Guts is haunted by his own perception of himself. Whether he has nightmares of himself being defenseless and followed by some dark looming figure, or if he himself is the dark looming figure. With his mission completed and still filthy from the sewers that he traveled through, Guts sought out Griffith, only to find him high above him yet again, and contrasting Guts's tattered appearance, Griffith is decked out in finery, in front of a romantic fountain alongside Charlotte. This is a pivotal scene. It is this moment that gets Guts to reflect upon his own life. Griffith talks about what he thinks a man should strive for, how a man should not simply live just for the sake of living. That he needs a dream, a purpose. Then he goes on to describe what a friend to him would be. And at this point, Guts does not match that criteria. Someone who's able to find their own reason to live. Who wouldn't depend on another's dream, like Guts had been doing. And that this friend would do whatever it takes to make their dream a reality, even if it meant opposing Griffith. What a great setup. And what an interesting twist of fate. That Griffith's own words, unbeknownst to him, would be what would inspire Guts to separate himself from him. This all seems to connect back to what Zod said. How the closer Guts comes to becoming the definition of a friend, the closer he becomes to his own doomed fate. Gambino's betrayal broke Guts. Guts's trauma does not rest solely in the rape that he suffered as a child. His trauma instead is an amalgamation of confused feelings. How could it be that the person that he looked up to the most, the person that was the closest thing he had to a father, would allow an adult to take advantage of him? Guts wants to see Gambino in a positive light, and we often see in his memories that he remembers Gambino as someone who offered him healing, who loved him, who smiled and trained him. But of course, as we read in the previous chapters, we as the audience could see that that was not the whole story. Gambino never truly loved Guts. He wanted him to be a punching bag and felt threatened when Guts did a good job when he was excelling in his battles. That's why we see how he has to knock him down a peg. Gambino does not sell guts to this man because he needs the money. No, it's more than that. It has to do with how he wanted to emasculate guts. In my first video about Berserk, I talk about toxic masculinity and how Berserk comments on this, especially through its character Gambino. It's because of his narcissistic and toxic traits that he cannot love Guts. After Gambino loses his leg, he feels even more threatened by Guts, jealous of Guts. Now Gambino is worthless in his own eyes, by his own criteria. He was a man who valued strength above all else, and now he could not fight. This would lead to another moment that traumatized Guts. The moment where he accidentally kills Gambino. There seems to be a reoccurring story element in this series, where a parent and a child have unresolved issues. When the unforeseen death of a parent leaves the child confused, and sometimes furious. During Wounds Part 2, we see how Guts still does not have an answer as to why Gambino would sell him to another man. And as a reader, I see how this is tying into what's going on with Griffith, how in a way History is repeating itself, and Guts is being forced to come face to face with this question. Not through a parental figure, but instead through a close friendship. I of course already know that Guts will be betrayed by Griffith, someone that he deeply loved and looked up to. And by the end of Volume 10, we see how gravely injured Griffith is, how he'll never be able to hold a sword. And this is where I couldn't help but be reminded of Gambino. Seeing a character who had such a large ego, being forced into a state of helplessness, while he's able to see how Guts is becoming stronger than ever, and how Guts' relationship with Casca is becoming closer than ever. Speaking of Guts and Casca, wow, I loved how Mira crafted this love story between them. When we go to the chapter appropriately titled Casca we get to see the beginnings of this intimate connection growing between Guts and Casca. Guts who suffered an arrow to the side and Casca who's suffering from something else. I love how the setting for this bond is happening in such a yonic setting, which is fitting for these very feminine subjects that we cover in these chapters. I love that we have this line where Guts is able to feel sympathy for Casca and understand that women have it pretty rough. It would have been so easy for Guts to be disgusted by having some of Casca's period blood on his hands. But instead, he takes this moment to try and understand what Casca has been going through. Even if later we see him giving her a hard time for being a woman on the battlefield. And I just love that Miura was able to handle this subject so well periods are not fun and Guts is figuring that out he hasn't interacted with many women but he's able to be empathetic even so with Casca and we see especially later on when this is brought up again how Costka's period isn't something that is supposed to make her weaker as a character but instead enhances her strengths the fact that she was someone who would still fight even while she was dealing with intense period pains also I just want to talk about how Guts views Casca's body We could have easily gotten a scene where he was ogling her or getting super embarrassed. We're used to seeing those kind of scenes in anime, right? Where a character sees someone in some state of undress and start blushing a lot. And sure, the story establishes that Gus has seen her naked before. But even so, this is an especially intimate moment where not only is he seeing her naked, he's having to touch her body, remove her clothing, and then press her body against his in order to keep her warm. Instead of getting a highly comedic scene or something that feels cliché in its romanticism, we're given something deeper. Guts is focused on protecting Casca. He values her beyond just her body. And her body isn't just something to be seen as a sexual object. Instead, we see how she has feelings, how she is affected by things like her period. And in this way, it helps add humanity to Casca's character. And we see this similar sort of treatment even during their lovemaking during the Wounds chapters. And I'll get to that in just a bit because, man, I loved Confessions and Wounds. The, they were fantastic chapters. We finally got to know more about Costca's backstory and why she's so dedicated to Griffith. He was able to bring her comfort and protection. And I like that it wasn't just that he saved her from the man that was trying to rape her. Instead, he gave her the opportunity to protect herself and she did. And I'm sure for Costca, that helped her feel like someone believed in her. For her, Griffith was her blanket and her sword. Protection and comfort. And Costca would become something very similar for Guts and we'll see that at the end of Wounds Part 2. And through these flashbacks, we get to learn a bit about Griffith as well. Kaska sees Griffith while he's bathing himself and I can't help but be reminded of the scene where Guts sees Griffith while he's bathing as well. But instead of getting some kind of playful water fight between Casca and Griffith, Griffith actually opens up about his feelings about the people that have sacrificed themselves for his dream and how it's impossible for himself to remain pure when so many people have spilled blood for his dream. He claims that he doesn't feel responsible for the lives that were lost on the battlefield because those people chose to join him, but he does feel responsible to them to some degree because he knows that if he can do anything to honor their lives, it would be to win. He even was able to recognize the young boy who wanted to be a soldier who died during one of these skirmishes. He seemed to have genuine emotions for this boy. The deaths of all the people that supported him helped fuel his dream, and make him feel even more driven to win. Kasuka is jealous of Guts. In a very shoujo manga sort of way as well. She almost feels like the childhood best friend character and then Guts is the new, exciting, beautiful girl that shows up and takes all of Griffith's attention away from her. Kasuka notices that Griffith has become dependent on Guts and she'll bring that up later. But of course, her frustrated feelings towards Guts don't just come from jealousy. She's worried about the safety of Griffith. Guts is prone to rushing into dangerous situations, and she knows that Griffith will try to save him. Just like we saw during his fight with Zod. Let's move on to the battle for Doldry. I loved how epic and sprawling this battle felt. Everything was beautifully rendered and really gave us a sense that this is a major battle that needs to be won. A victory here would mean an end to the Hundred Years' War and an elevated status for Griffith. During one of the tense battles, Guts breaks his sword. Even Griffith doesn't know what to do. But then, perched high above, we see a familiar shadowy figure, Zod. He throws his giant barbaric sword in front of Guts and this reminds me a bit of what happened to casca with griffith griffith instructs guts to take the sword and so he does and in one failed swoop he's able to kill baskegon this was so surprising to see i think it has something to do with zod trying to encourage guts to become stronger because he hopes to fight him again at some point casca is able to successfully take the fortress but she was poisoned by the arrow but unfortunately, she was injured after being hit by an arrow by the Blue Will Knight's commander. Guts arrives and lifts her up, allowing her to see the glorious, victorious Griffith. But she remarks on how sad she feels when she sees him surrounded by everyone after a victory, like she's even further away from him than usual. Guts tries to reassure her that that's not the case, he picks her up and tosses Zod's sword to the side. Because Mira can't let us just be happy and revel in this moment, we are greeted with the vision of Zod as he gallops towards the sunset, remarking on the eclipse and the demon advent. Let's continue on to the Tombstone of Flame. After successfully burning alive his conspirators, including the Queen, Griffith meets up with Guts, who has just slain the kidnappers they had paid. This whole scene, this entire interaction, means so much to Griffith. In my previous video i brought up how guts felt wanted by griffith and how that meant so much to him but here we see how griffith is moved by guts's loyalty that he would dirty his hands for his sake griffith seems to be genuinely concerned about how guts feels about him and he feels assured that guts accepts all of him we know that this moment meant so much to griffith because his mind keeps going back to it after Guts leaves him. Speaking of which, let's revisit The Morning of Departure, Chapter Two. I did not expect Griffith to be so infuriated by Guts' decision to leave him. He truly meant it when he said that he owned Guts. He unfortunately never loved Guts in a way that would allow Guts to have autonomy in his mind. Instead, he saw him as a possession So for him, it's like Guts is going off script. It's something that he had never accounted for. But Guts is doing this because he's been inspired unknowingly by Griffith. And here's where we get an interesting contradiction between what Griffith said he wants in a friend and how he reacts to Guts doing just that. We are treated to a beautiful two-page spread, Guts versus Griffith. And what I love here and what we see throughout the series is how Guts' sword is catching the light. He tends to do this a lot where he is, his sword is pointed up towards the sun or the moon, or sometimes we just see a glint of light catching the top of his sword. And that ties in with the ideas of sparks and lights representing dreams, and I think that's really great. And, and of course, Guts' sword being this reflection of what he wants, his driving force, his energy, his spirit. And it just adds so much more drama to this image. We get to see just how possessive Griffith is. How if he cannot have him, then Guts should die. He obviously truly does not want autonomy in his friends and his comrades. The opening scenes for the chapter Knight of Skeleton feel cinematic. We see Mira use a God's eye view, which is a technique used in cinema to make characters seem small as if their actions are insignificant in the greater scheme of things. And that is perfect for Berserk. Oftentimes we even see Miura using the parting of the clouds to create an eye-like shape. The sun or moon sometimes feel like a watchful eye on our main characters. This is just another way that Miura introduces suspense and dread and connects back to this almost Shakespearean prologue that we have at the beginning of the story. In this world, is the destiny of mankind controlled by some transcendental entity or law? Is it like the hand of God hovering above? At least it is true that man has no control even over his own will. Now, let's visit the beginning of Griffith's fall from grace. I could have never seen this moment as what would mark the beginning of the end for Griffith. For the rest of this video, I'm going to be primarily focused on talking about relationships, Casca and Guts, and Griffith and Charlotte. Perched upon a barren tree, Griffith waits for Charlotte. It feels almost uncanny, a bit disturbing. This beautiful man, dressed in his finery, soaked in rain sneaking his way up to a young girl's window. This imagery works perfectly with this continued theme of associating Griffith with bird-like imagery. Griffith pulls Charlotte into a kiss that might come off as passionate or loving. Instead, if we pay attention, we can see what is really going on. Griffith is trying to escape the pain of Guts leaving him. That's why we get these shots of the bruise that Guts left on his shoulder. And it's also during this scene that we see a flashback to that scene that I just brought up earlier, where Guts made Griffith feel accepted. Now the only person that he had shared his dirty side with, who had proved again and again his loyalty to him, was gone. This night with Charlotte isn't about Charlotte. Griffith is not even paying attention to her. When she expressed her sadness over him not coming to see her, he recognized that she desired him. So he saw an opportunity to maybe just forget about Guts for a moment, to feel powerful over Charlotte. We can tell that he doesn't really care about her consent. He forces her into a kiss, and when she tells him no, he continues anyway. No matter how energetic this romp was, there was no love behind it. And so Griffith was not able to get rid of the pain. Once it was done, Griffith is not satisfied. And we see him sitting on the bed, turned away from Charlotte, and he begins to cry. And he places his hand and holds himself on the area where Guts wounded him, his body appearing small and frail. Like Koska had already noticed, Griffith had become dependent on Guts. His feelings for Guts were not just possessive, they were also rooted in intimacy. In his own twisted way, he felt bound to Guts. And perhaps he was confused why Guts didn't seem to have that same bond to him. So it was not just his ego that was wounded, it was also his heart. It's during these type of scenes that you can really see the shoujo manga influence. And this whole breakup being very much like a breakup. And Griffith seeking out Charlotte was like someone looking for a rebound. And just like in those scenarios, the ex is unable to forget about their former lover. Before leaving, Griffith leaves the other half of the magnetic doll that she had given him before he left for the Battle of Doldry, along with what seems to be a small sprig of the flower called the Lily of the Valley. This could reflect a couple of things, the fact that Charlotte is deflowered, and the flower itself can represent purity, unity, death, or mourning. This gesture by Griffith, I think, does indicate that he had some feelings for Charlotte, but he certainly did not love her. I don't think that Griffith is a complete sociopath, or at least not at this point in the story. He is shown to care for people who have supported him, even if they were weaker than him. Like the boy who wanted to be a knight in Casca's flashback. How Griffith remembered his name and, after he died, reunited him with the small knight doll that he had. Confession and Wounds, these have to be my favorite chapters in the series so far. Mira created the perfect backdrop for an overflowing of emotions and of passion. A year had passed since they last saw each other. Casca had been pushing herself, looking after the band of the Hawk, by herself. The two most important men in her life had vanished, abandoning her. Her frustration and jealousy for Guts came to a boiling point. He had always been the one that Griffith needed, in the way that Costco wanted to be needed by Griffith. And of course, to some degree, she blamed Guts for what happened to Griffith. To release her own frustration, she lashed out at Guts. And after shouting at him, saying that Griffith was no good without him, she accidentally stabbed Guts because he couldn't help but let his mind wander, thinking about the collapsed small body of Griffith as he walked away that one snowy day. Guts now blaming himself for Griffith's downfall. Koska's combination of depression and fatigue sent her teetering off of a cliff, but Guts caught her. The blood from the stab wound and the cut to his hand, both dealt by Koska trickled down onto her hand. And it's during this moment that she realizes how much he has bled for her, how devoted he's been to her. This next scene would grab my heart. Slowly, deliberately, and surely, Guts comforts Casca, his nervousness apparent through the sweat drop on his face, knowing only that he wants to make her feel better and that he loves her. A man who isn't accustomed to loving touches, handling her so gently, kissing her tenderly upon her head, her forehead, her nose, and then finally her lips. What I love about this scene is how it communicates consent. Casca initiates the touch, with her head resting upon his chest near where she stabbed him. Then Guts brushes away her tears. After kissing her on the head, Casca gestures upwards, surprising guts. He taps her bottom lip, making direct eye contact with her. Do you want me to kiss you here? And of course the answer is yes. His finger gently slid off of her lip, and then gently, he tilted her chin upwards. The sequential nature of these panels really makes it feel like it is taking time, as it should. And when we compare it to the kiss between Charlotte and Griffith we see how Miura is making a clear dichotomy between a consensual kiss, one with true love behind it, and one that is driven by selfishness, that isn't asking for consent. The panel of Guts and Koska kissing is stunning, it's like something out of a fairy tale. The backdrop of the rushing waterfall is faded behind our lovers. Guts' cape flowing protectively around Casca. Once we enter the section titled Wounds, we are given an inner monologue by Casca, and we start to see her accepting her love for Guts, and she begins to evolve beyond wanting to be loved by Griffith. The title image is gorgeous. Throughout Wounds part one and two, Casca and Goetze's union is framed as something pure. Their nude bodies joined in an idyllic setting. They're framed like their love is something that is protected by nature. Like their union is a holy one. I was reminded of Adam and Eve and how their sex was described in Paradise Lost before the fall. How they would join together in sex not fueled by lust but instead out of love for each other. Casca is less nervous about her naked body and more concerned with the scars on them, being ashamed of not having a more feminine body. But Guts understands her as a woman and as a soldier. Casca feels as though if she fully accepts her feelings for Guts, then all those scars, those sacrifices, those feelings might have been a waste. That perhaps her feelings weren't real in the first place. But Guts reassures her that there are no lies behind her scars. That nobody lies their way into a body with this many scars. I absolutely love this line so much because what's going on is that Guts is validating her feelings for another man before they consummate their relationship. Again and again. Guts was shown to be supportive of Casca and Griffith being together. Wounds here are a sign of love, devotion, pain, and sacrifice. Badges of honor that you should never feel ashamed of. Though I won't be able to show much of Casca and Guts's rendezvous, the way in which it is framed is so much different from what we saw with Charlotte and Griffith. With Charlotte and Griffith, most scenes were focused on zooming in on either Charlotte or Griffith, their bodies being separated in different panels. Very few scenes were devoted to their bodies being joined together. And even when they were, we could tell that Griffith wasn't truly focused on Charlotte. But with Koska and Guts, there's so many panels that are dedicated to showing Koska and Guts together. Guts seems to be far more attentive to Casca's needs. But then there seems to be a bit of a tonal shift. Upon Guts's face, we see this strangely intense and almost distant look. As he continues, he ignores when Casca tells him that he's being too rough. And then we see what is going through his mind. He begins to see Casca as himself when he was a child during one of the most traumatizing moments of his life. And then he stops, and reaches for Casca's throat. The idyllic scenery behind them now feels completely out of place. Guts is obviously not in his right mind, but what surprised me was how he reacted in a way where it wasn't just himself seeing himself as the assailant, but instead he felt like he needed to eradicate his younger self. Guts feels so much shame and guilt surrounding his childhood, frustrated by the weakness that he had then, and by the fact that he had killed his own father. When Guts is reflecting on Gambino, he usually paints him in a positive light. Someone who looked after him even though he was on the brink of death, and who taught him how to fight. But we as viewers know that there's much more to it than that, and that Guts is struggling With this idea that Gambino would do something like sell him to somebody else. Because Guts has no real basis for how a parent should treat their child, it was easy for him to see Gambino in a positive light. Especially since his life surrounds his sword, and so the person who taught him how to wield said sword would mean everything to him. Guts is ashamed of what he did to Casca, turns away from her and throws his cloak on her assuming that she wouldn't want to be with him anymore. But instead, she casts off the cloak and hugs him tightly from behind. This scene where Casca hugs him from behind is similar to when she hugged Griffith from behind in the river. Griffith could never offer Casca the intimacy that she wanted. Instead he decided to brush off his concerns so as not to worry her. Their relationship was much more reserved. Casca and Guts have fully opened up to each other and their embrace was completely bare. Nothing to hide and everything accepted. Guts tells her that all they'll be doing is licking each other's wounds and Casca says that that's enough and that she too wants a wound that she can say that he gave her. This panel feels like a parallel to when Griffith told Guts that he wanted him but here there were no possessive looks, no hands on a head drawing someone closer. Instead, we see soft, genuine looks. Casca not needing anything from Guts, nor Guts from Casca. Their love is an unconditional love, which is new for both of them. Guts learned that he had to fight in order to receive any semblance of love from Gambino, and Casca knew that Griffith wanted a lover that would elevate his status. Both of them chasing after the love of someone that would never be capable of giving them true love. Back before Guts left, he had a conversation with Judo, where he admitted to not feeling good enough for Casca, feeling as though he needed to get on Griffith's level in order to have a chance to even deserve to approach Casca. But Casca already loved Guts, and she didn't need him to become some kind of Griffith clone. Now both of them have seen each other during an extreme low point, and they've even both harmed each other physically because of their uncontrollable emotions. But even so, they're able to accept each other, to be patient, to listen and learn from each other. As their lovemaking continues, we are treated again to scenes of their bodies together, not a bunch of tiny close-ups of their separate bodies. And we see so much beautiful eye contact, both of them truly seeing each other now. One of the panels reminds me of Gustav Klim's The Kiss, where we see two lovers on their knees kissing each other. Fittingly, Kaska's sword for this arc has a heart on it, and so she is literally wearing her heart on her blade. Initially, Kaska wanted to be Griffith's sword, but instead, she has become Guts's as illustrated by the scene where Guts dozes off thinking about the time where Gambino gave him medicine to heal the wound that he gave him. So in this moment, Guts is associating the one time he felt loved by Gambino with being with Casca. The sword, a source of protection, and the medicine, something that helps him heal. And he's associating these things with Casca. This chapter ended like some sort of fairy tale. One thing I really appreciate is that even after they've consummated their relationship and recognized that they loved each other, we don't see Casca losing her agency. She doesn't become some weak person who can't fight or is just relying on Guts to make decisions. She's not just staring at him with starry eyes either. And Guts still has respect for her. We're able to see her being a strong leader and someone who is now a bit closer to Guts. But they can still be a little flirty, and I do like how Guts seems to be looking out for her a bit more. And Guts has demonstrated so much emotional maturity. When it comes to Casca, he's so patient and understanding. To the point where he's not even mad that she keeps thinking about Griffith and shows some jealousy towards Charlotte when it's revealed that her and Griffith shared a night together. It makes sense that Casca still has feelings for Griffith. And that's something that Guts understands, even if sometimes it frustrates him a little bit. At the time of recording this, I actually have finished the eclipse and I can't wait to talk about it, but it's going to have to wait for the next video. I can't wait to share my thoughts with you guys over this controversial and highly emotional section of the story. If you want to make sure not to miss out on that video, then make sure to subscribe. I'll be documenting my journey through Berserk and other anime series like Jujutsu Kaisen and, of course, Chainsaw Man. Hope I can see you in the next video.